the Heineken Cup podcast, European rugby at its best. Brought to you by The Guardian and Heineken, the premium continental beer. Well, hello and welcome to our show looking ahead to Saturday's Heineken Cup final at the Stade de France. An all-French affair between Biarritz, Olympique and Stade Toulousain, to give them their full names. I'm Robert Kitson. There's the final mistake. And that's it. Biarritz will leave the Basque region with their title challenge on course. They go to Paris for what will be a capital day and a cup final day that gives Biarritz another chance for European gold. Toulouse have two routes to Paris this season and they have just located one. A fourth Heineken Cup title is now right in their sights. Toulouse one game away again from being crowned kings of European rugby. To discuss this uh, weekend's events, we've assembled a top-quality coalition of experts here in the studio. I've got Sean Edwards on my right, the head coach of Wasps, and a member of both the Welsh and the Lions coaching teams. Thanks for being with us, Sean. Thank you very much. And opposite is my team Guardian Observer colleague, Michael Aylwin, who is a, a lover of all things French. will doubtless be keeping the rest of us on our toes linguistically. Bonjour, Michael. Uh, bonjour. bonjour. And I won't be. <laughs> so, Sean, let's get straight to the, to the nub of it. I mean, France won the Six Nations this year as well. They've got two sides in the, in the Heineken final. Has French rugby really left the rest of us trailing in their wake? Um, I think it was a little bit predictable, um, the fact that, in particularly the Six Nations, because if you look back the, historically, you know, since professional rugby came in, after every Lions tour, the French have always won the Six Nations and often it's been with the Grand Slam. I don't think people can understand, unless you've actually been involved in a Lions tour, what emotionally and physically it takes out of yourself as a coach, first and foremost, obviously understanding that myself, but even more so as a player. And, you know, often you see uh, players, great players, you know, gradually fading as the season goes along uh, after a Lions tour because of that emotional high of, of being actually being on Lions tour. And in particular, I think the way the last Lions tour went, you know, the, the emotion of it, etc. you know, and just losing in such a narrow margin, um, certainly took a lot out of the players. Mm. Well, we'll discuss a little bit later, you know, whether this might be a blip or whether it's a trend that, that might continue. But Michael, well, we all know that, that the top 14 offers higher salaries, but is that the only reason for, for this impressive winning streak? Uh, yes, I think it probably is. And also, I mean, when we say winning streak, we're basically talking about Toulouse here, aren't we? Because no one else since the French team since 97 has actually won uh, the Heineken Cup. I know a few teams have got to the final. Uh, they do have much more money than everybody else. People say that that means we should be raising the salary cap in England. I'm not sure about that either. I mean, I think let the French have money. Uh, there's nothing more entertaining than a Frenchman throwing his money around. And... Uh, and actually, and on a more serious note, though, economically, can they afford to carry on doing this? We've already seen Montevan from the top 14 get relegated for uh, not being able to afford their squad. Stade Francais came very close as well. Bourguin came close. And the other thing to point out is, of course, that you know, last season, it seemed to be France that were in the doldrums. They got spanked at Twickenham. Uh, they had just to lose in the quarterfinals and they went out quite limply. So, I mean, it swings and roundabouts. And as Sean said, after Alliance Tour, the... Uh, British and Irish uh, clubs are often vulnerable anyway, so I, I don't think there's any reason to get too uh, worried about it just this, just this stage yet. Might as well get a first-hand view from an Englishman abroad. On the, on the line now, I hope, from his home in the south of France, we have an England winger who flew the nest uh, to play for Perpignan six years ago and has never quite got around to booking a flight home. Dan Luger, are you there? 
I am here. Excellent. Yeah. I, get, I gather you spent the weekend at the Monaco Grand Prix. Was, was that I saw? It was you I saw in the rowing boat beside all those big yachts in the harbour. <laughs> that was it, actually. That was my little <laughs> rowing boat, little hamburger in my hand. That's all I could afford. But it was, uh, it was a good weekend, but I'm, I am kind of still suffering slightly now. Excellent. Well, we, we, I'm sure you'll be bang on the ball for the hard-hitting questions we got for you. What is the mood in France? I mean, last year, as Michael was saying, you know, the French only had one side in the last eight and didn't have any semi-finalists at all. It's been a heck of a turnaround. Can you put your finger on the, on the main reason why? I suppose there's a couple of things, really. I mean, firstly, obviously, which everyone does talk about, and it is a big factor, is money. You know, the French boys you know, are, are the biggest players in the world at the moment. Um, and I kind of think, you know, last season with the, with the likes of Flutie and guys like that coming over, it's kind of opened the floodgates even more. So more and more guys have come over this year. I think that's had a very positive effect. And one thing that's kind of been evident recently, if you look at Toulouse, basically, like I said, they're in the final. Last weekend is the French Championship final, and they put a weakened team out, and they said, we are concentrating on Europe this year. You know, financially, this is the thing that makes a big difference to us, and I'm not sure that's ever happened in France before. So, you know, there are you know, a couple of things that have had an impact, and obviously it's showing at the moment. The depth, perhaps, is the thing from afar that, that strikes you about when you look at the Toulouse squad and, and you look at the strength they have on the bench. I mean, the, the old cliche was that, you know, they had loads of flair, but not the consistency. That seems to have changed utterly. Yeah, definitely. And like you say, they've probably got you know, two whole teams of internationals. I mean, if, if you look at the semi-final on the weekend against Perpignan, they lost in a, like, a high-quality game, fantastic rugby, but with a lot of guys that are not playing, you know, week in, week out for them. You know, they're reserving their best team for the European Cup. So it's... It shows you the strength and depth they've had and the quality of French rugby at the moment. I think it's fantastic. Does that go down well in Toulouse? You know, traditionally, as you say, that the French Championship has been, has been the be-all and end-all, isn't it? I think it does, yeah. The world's changing, rugby changing in France. I think it's becoming more and more widespread, even in France. You know, it's becoming more and more popular with everybody. It's probably, well, it's probably the trendiest sport, if you want to say something like that, in, in France at the moment. I mean, it's taking over more and more over football. It's becoming more and more in the whole country. So... Yeah, I think there's more and more young people and it's becoming less old school as it was in terms of people watching it. So I think you know, everyone's happy for the team to be doing really well in Europe as well. And it's not only just this focus of the French Championship. Sure. I mean, you know these two sides, you know, Biarritz and, and Toulouse. You've been based down in France, as I say, for a while. How would you uh, summarise the difference between the, the, the two of them, how they'll approach this final? Well, two things. I mean, obviously, Toulouse, like I said, they did have put a weakened team out last week. So, and they are. this is their focus of the whole season. Now, that's all they're interested in is this game. Um, the other thing for Berets is they haven't been involved in the semi-finals. They have a lot more time to prepare for this game, so they're really focusing on it. It's going to be an interesting game. Obviously, everyone always talks about Toulouse and their flair behind the, uh, you know, with their backs and how great they are. But the thing that's going to be very interesting this weekend is going to be, not, not that I'm an expert at this, but it's going to be the forwards battle. You've got a Berets team that dominated uh, Perpignan in the, in the scrum and then Perpignan dominated Toulouse in the scrum. So I think that's where the battle's going to be won and lost this week, where normally everyone's always talking about the Toulouse backs, but I think it's going to, like always, going to you know, come to the battle up front and it's going to be really interesting. Oh, absolutely. So, absolutely. Uh, that's for me, that's where the, the key of the game is. I'll just bring Sean in here. I mean, there, there's some fascinating, fantastic players on both sides. Um, do you agree with Dan about the Yeah, the I, to- I totally agree with Dan. And I, and I thought that is where both semi-finals were won, actually. And I thought it was the bench coming off the post of the front row for both French teams that actually won the game against the Irish teams and uh, I totally agree with him I mean when you've got Barcella coming off the bench do you remember the job that he did on John Smith in uh, in the autumn mm-hmm. you know the South African captain and he comes off the bench in, with 20 minutes to go and uh, you know, you've got to scrimmage against a guy of that sort of standard and I think exactly the same happened in in the other game, you know, with the Toulouse team, you know, you've got Poe coming off the bench and uh, people like this, and it's just that extra power in the scrum in those last 20 minutes which makes the difference, particularly against those Irish teams. This time, obviously, they're against two French teams. As I said, 
I couldn't have not have been more impressed with the Biarritz scrum uh, than I could did in the semi-final, and, and I'm told by obviously by Dan that they dominated in, in other games in, in the French Championship. So it's something to look forward to. I mean, Dan, in a way, both these teams would probably prefer not to be going north to Paris for the final, wouldn't they? I mean, the, 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 as, as southern sides, that, but that, that they'll still bring a, a pretty special crowd atmosphere to the capital, won't they? I think all the boys from the south of France, any excuse to get up to Paris for a weekend and uh, abuse the Parisians, I think they'll be looking forward to it. So no, they'll be all looking forward to get up and they'll be that out there in force and you know, it'll be an amazing atmosphere and like it always is in Paris, it's going to be a great occasion. You know, I mean, two French teams in Paris, if it's European Cup or you know, French Championship, it's electric and it is something special it's definitely something you know yeah, no, you want to go and see if you ever get a chance absolutely on fate I think is the word isn't it um, anyway Dan thanks very much for joining us fantastic you can get back to the pool now thanks a lot <laughs> see, see you Sean nice to speak to you mate as well see you pal take care boys Heineken and the Heineken Cup celebrating Europe's best for 15 years okay well, before we look at the, the final in a little bit more depth let's uh, reflect on the whole tournament for a moment Yes, welcome to the 32,000 capacity home of Real Sociedad here in San Sebastian. And this afternoon, the Ospreys face a Biarritz side who will hit this pitch here in northwest Spain with the bloodlust of crazed matadors. Laurie winning it on the floor. Here goes Damian Trike. Now here is Nguyenia. First time into the game. The electric American. And he's showing that electricity here. He's showing the Leinster versus Clermont Auvergne. Para, James, maybe a chance to get in behind here with Canali coming onto it. He's got it, out it goes to Rougerie. This will be the first points of the evening. Malzieu scores for Clermont Auvergne. Now it is going right with Sexton and O'Driscoll. And Heaslip with it. Oh, it's a lovely pass for O'Driscoll to Heaslip. Draw the final man. Maybe he doesn't have to. No, not with that power. Not with that pace. Driscoll, he just pulls Rougerie into his web. Brock James is there. One attacker, two defenders. Is up now, now, but it's coming this way. And Ray Harder and Foden must be a try here for John Clark. And it is. And it's Northampton with the lead at half time. And here goes O'Leary and John Deville. Munster have it still with O'Leary. This is a great counter-attack. There's a chance with Earls waiting for the pass. Earls is going to score. What a fine try. They know just what they are capable of in this tournament. Skrela, good step. Oh, what a step. Truly great score. And in a semi-final two, Noves knows it. It could be the winner. David Skrela hasn't attempted to run once. Leinster don't. There were some particularly gripping quarter-final matches, weren't there, Michael? There were indeed. And uh, this tournament is my favourite tournament of them all for, for any, no other reason really that, that all the teams that go into it seem to throw aside their you know, I mean, let's take the English example the Premiership until February was pretty desperate rugby I mean conservative no risk taking uh, teams just seemed scared or just frankly tired and then 
when everyone gets into the Heineken Cup, it's like they think, oh, to hell with it, let's just give it a crack. The quarterfinals were all of them epic. From the best, the best one was probably the first, and then it got probably progressively slightly less good as it went on. But I don't know the Ospreys. I have to say the Ospreys. Yeah, actually, now you mention it, um, but I I did think the tackling was a little questionable in the Ospreys game. So the Beerits didn't seem that interested in tackling. The the first game seemed to be slightly more intense and epic. Mm. Um, Maybe that was partly because of you know Friday night floodlights and so on. It can sort of lend a, a, a. different quality to the uh, atmosphere but um, certainly those first two games were something special and, and I was a, until the third quarter final at Toman Park Virgin and uh, I apologise if I sound as if I'm uh, <laughs> speaking as if I discovered something new I know I haven't but by God what an atmosphere at least I mean the place is unbelievable and you, you, you begin to understand why Munster have, uh, it's been all but impregnable uh, since the start of the I, I, th- I think what's interesting is that all these knockout matches you didn't matter, didn't matter where you were you could have been in San Sebastian you could have been in, in Dublin you could have been in Limerick no, they're, they're all the same I mean Sean in, in the semis Munster were a bit of a disappointment were they but uh, you know, or was that just a case of, of Beeritz just doing a job on them up front yeah, I just think, as I said, I just think it was the, those last few scrums where they got they got they dominated and uh, they had, they had the power coming off the bench. I mean, everyone sort of tries to target the Munster scrum. Uh, we, we know they're pretty imperious at Lanark Town. They were missing the captain Paul O'Connell, as we all know, who's um, you know a, a magnificent leader and a real talisman for that team. But in the end, when you're getting pushed back in the scrum at such a rate of knots, um, it is pretty difficult to play rugby. I'll tell you what is interesting is that the, the English players that are going to be playing in this game, mm. you know, you're looking at Bolshaw, you're looking at Rinley, you're looking at Magnus Lund, all made a good impact over there in the Beeritz. We speak about uh, the magnificent record of, 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 of Toulouse. Actually, in the French Championship, they haven't won the French Championship that many times over the last 10 years. So it, it, it does show that they put the most emphasis yeah. on this competition because mm. I think they've only run it twice in the last 10 years, the French Championship. Mm. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it, it, it is fascinating how, how, how that's changing. I mean, are there any other games taking the season, or players, I suppose, taking the season as a whole that have stood out for you? Uh, I mean, personally, I went, went to Claremont in the depths of winter to see that Leicester game oh, down there. Yeah. It was Amazing. just a staggering game. Claremont, were, you, you saw them play that day and you thought... Crikey, you know, it's going yeah. to take a very, very good side to beat them. As it turned out, they did. I mean, they were they, perhaps they should have won well, that quarter Well, they beat themselves, final. didn't they? Well, they did. Poor old Brock James. But I was at um, the first instalment of the Munster uh, Northampton, and oh, Northampton Munster as it was then, at uh, Franklin's Gardens. And again, a phenomenal match. They're not quite the same atmosphere as Toman Park may be, but those guys at Franklin's Gardens know how to cheer their team on as well. And... Um, they forced themselves over the line there. And that, that first weekend was a great weekend. I mean, I think the night before we had another Anglo-Irish epic, uh, Leinster-London-Irish. Uh, and the day after we had um, Leicester against the Ospreys, when Leicester lost practically their entire back division on the morning of the game. Had Craig Newby playing the second half in the centres. Well, they drew it in the end, didn't they? But uh, well, It was Billy Twelve Trees. Billy Twelve Trees. Fantastic. Moving on from Billy 12, how about you, Sean? What, you, what, what stuck out for you? I know you've been involved in the in the Challenge Cup, but... Uh... Well, the big thing for us is that we're back in it yeah. this year, and that's what I'm <laughs> most excited about. Uh, but no, there has been some, some spectacular rugby. I actually thought the Northampton performance away at Tormund Park the first, in the first round yeah. was very, very strong. Um, I, I didn't expect them to push to Munster that close. They did a marvellous job, the, I think it was in around about, around about Christmas time. Uh, and they actually nearly could have won the game, except for one big scrum. I remember the Northampton team went for a pushover try, just sent on a British Lions prop as a tight head, so you'd expect they'd have a pretty good chance of doing it. And what happens is, Munster put a back, because they were down to 14 players, they put a back on the scrum, 
and they pushed them back. It was just unbelievable. The scrum is bizarre because because <laughs> then in the quarter final they well it was pretty touch and go the scrummaging yes. with Northampton, but I think the general consensus was that Munster edged it. And then even that semi-final that you were talking about, the first 20 minutes, Munster were dominant over the Biarritz scrum. And then suddenly, for some reason, the tables were turned and I Biarritz annihilated. I think it's something to do with that guy called Barcelo. I think well, he have something to do with it. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> well, that's interesting. I mean, you know, let's get back to the final. You know, Both Harry Nordeke and Damien uh, Trey of, of Biarritz say they're the underdogs. Uh, do you both agree? Yes, I mean, the, the fact that experienced um, at this level um, is, is massive. And there's no doubt that uh, Toulouse had the experience. That they have some great experiences, obviously, winning. They've had one very bad experience of losing, which I'll remind everybody about, in 2004. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was, must have been the greatest ever losing performance by any team. I mean, I remember coming in at half-time and, uh, yeah, we was winning by some miraculous reason. And uh, <laughs> uh, the, the players looked at me to basically to say, how do we stop it? <laughs> how do we st-? And then I just looked round and I said, don't bother asking me, guys, I ain't got a clue either. <laughs> That's top coaching. That's what we yeah, like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be honest, I haven't got a clue. <laughs> what, what about you, Michael? You, you sense an upset? You're, you're, uh, you're a betting man? Not really. I think uh, those two fellas who talk themselves down as underdogs are the only hopes that they've got. I mean, I think the difference between Beer Ritz and Toulouse is Beer Ritz rely, well, they're not the same team if Aaron Ordeke, Damien Try, Dimitri Ashvili, probably those three, and maybe Jerome Tion aren't playing. So, I mean, they, those four guys, plus we know they've got a pretty good strength and depth in the front row. Uh, whereas Toulouse, you know, they could probably put out two teams that would uh, give them a good game. Um, so I, I think if Damien Try doesn't make it, and God forbid Aaron Ordeke doesn't make it, which I think he will do, I understand, then, uh, you know, you can... Yeah. Certainly, start crowning to lose. He's got to play the Anakin Cup yeah. battle with a broken nose. <laughs> it's only a broken yeah. nose, for God's sake. <laughs> oh, you've, you've played through a bit of pain in your time. Yeah. Uh, what, what, what counts as pain, do you think? Uh, uh, well, just the excitement of playing on the big occasion, and uh, yeah, that's no doubt that that, that does uh, well, get the, get, get the endorphins ribs. going. And uh, I was really surprised that the mask he wore. And, uh, <laughs> in the end, I thought he actually had a broken cheekbone, but unfortunately, it was a broken nose. And it just shows how, how important the French must put on the looks because I remember I remember bro- the I brought my yeah I brought my nose three three weeks on the trot once <laughs> <laughs> they never gave you they never gave you any of that sort of no, strapping, just a bit they? of a magic sponge and that was it <laughs> listen I mean I, I want, did want to ask you Sean just about uh, Guy Noves who, who's been at Toulouse forever I mean he's coached them 109 European games they've won 77 of those and they've drawn four now you know you've seen him from afar what, what's his secret do you think well, I think his secret is that he, is, he has an eye for talent. Obviously, people could look at him and say, well, he's got the uh, biggest checkbook in the competition. But even, you know, that has been proven at somewhere like Real Madrid in football. That doesn't necessarily correlate to you winning uh, Anakin Cups, winning Champions League, which basically, you know, the Anakin Cup is now the Champions League of rugby. The fact that Carl Heyman has turned down a chance to go back to the All Blacks you know, he'll be in the Anakin Cup next year. Yes, of course, it was something to do with money. Uh, there is rumours that the feeling from New Zealand was, well, you'll have to earn your spot back. But I think it was a big statement that he wants to play in the Anakin Cup. It's something I don't think he's ever done with Newcastle. So with Toulon next year, you know, Carl Emmons going to be playing in the Anakin Cup and that's how much important this is now. Is the Champions League in football bigger than the World Cup? That's a debatable thing. Probably money-wise, Yes. Maybe prestige-wise, I'm not quite sure. But, you know, is the Hanukkah Cup getting as big as international rugby? I think it is. Dare I say it, most of us enjoy it more. I think we all made the point <laughs> that, that quarter-final... Depends fi- on your nationality. Well, yeah, that quarter-final weekend, uh, which followed 
you know, soon after the Six Nations had finished and we were all just saying, you know, this is better than the Six Nations. It, it seems to be, to me, that the, the, the club play, I mean, maybe it's something to do with the fact that you live with these guys and train with these guys week in, week out. That's what brings you together with such ferocity in a way that it doesn't always seem to do at international level. You know, that partly probably because people aren't so sure of each other's um, well, presence. I mean, and uh, Sean's got a foot in both camps, haven't you, Sean? Yeah, so. I, I know, I've seen the, old, the advert uh, with Jose Marino when he goes, passion for the game is passion for the game. And that just sums the Anakin Cup up to me. It is pure passion. And you get real rugby, rugby fans going watching it. Obviously, you yeah, know, there's, yeah. there's quite a bit of corporate stuff because I'm in the Six Nations. I'm not knocking the Six Nations because it's the oldest competition in the world and it's a privilege to be involved with it. But these are passionate rugby fans who go and watch the Heineken Cup, you know, they follow the team week in and week out. And that, that's showed, where, you know, by the way that they react to the games. And, and I think that is also shown the way the players put the hurts on the sleeve and, and, and they, they give it everything they've got for, it in the, for their respective clubs, as you say, playing with blokes that they, they're living with week in and week out. No. Do you sense a different atmosphere when you're with Wales than you are with, say, Wasps for a big Heineken Cup match? Because Wales and Wasps have basically had the same coaching staff. You know, we're, <laughs> yeah, we're, so we're, we're, we're very, very similar. Yeah. I think what you do get um, with an international game is probably more external pressure because, yeah. you know, you've got the whole country yeah. uh, supporting you. So the external pressure is greater. Uh, but the internal pressure is, I'd say, is very similar and just the same building up because, you know, you expect a lot of each other. But the external pressure is bigger for international games, there's no doubt about that. And obviously the British Lions goes to an even bigger level. Yeah. But, you know, for an Anakin Cup game, you know, that internal pressure is just as big as international. I think, I mean, there's no doubt it's going to be an international intensity this uh, this weekend, you know, whatever the result. But I, I guess we have to pick a, a, pick a winner. So um, prediction, scoreline, Michael? Uh, I'll go um, to lose by 19. No. Wow. Yeah. Can I have a bet? <laughs> <laughs> Sean, what do you reckon? I'll go for to lose by seven. Well, well, all, I, well, all six. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, as I predicted, a Claremont v London Irish final. I'm not sure it really matters what I think, but uh, <laughs> I think I, I go, uh, I'll go to lose. <laughs> By by nine. Although whenever Yashvili plays, he never seems to well, miss a miss true. a kick. He's whenever a magical I, player, isn't so he? I think he'll keep the keep the margin down. Heineken and the Heineken Cup celebrating Europe's best for fifteen years. Um, as I say, though, I'm sure it'll be a fantastic occasion, and it is amazing to think how far this tournament and rugby has come in the fifteen years since its inception. Both ERC cups, the Heineken and the Challenge Cup, have done a great deal to popularise popularise the game, haven't they? And, and and ERC have recently come up with their dream team of the finest players from the five countries to have played in the tournament. Uh, six of them were French, while just two of them were Englishmen, and uh, Ronan O'Gara was named as the best player in Europe over the past 15 years. I don't know, looking down that list of players, uh, Sean, what do, you, what do you make of it? Obviously, Rocky Elson had a, a magnificent one season uh, with Leinster, and his, some of his performances were you know, out of this world. But you know, I look at Joe Worsley, a bloke who's played in the competition for you know, well over 10 years, Won the competition twice, made 36 tackles, I think, in one final against Toulouse in probably what was one of the best defensive performances by any player in the whole history of the competition. You know, I'd have played a big part in beating Leicester in 2007. So, you know, I'm a bit biased, but I would have put Joe Worsley in there and a certain Lawrence Lallio would definitely would have been there at number eight. <laughs> I think he'd have, he'd have had himself in there, though, wouldn't yeah. he, Lawrence? I, I've just looked at the list and apparently 
uh, Lawrence was one of the persons who actually picked the team, so I'm surprised he's not captain. Yeah. I, think, I think he was out of the room at the time, I think, where they did number eight, I, I, I read. But uh, uh, What about you, Mark? Any, anybody stand out for you? Uh, Paul O'Connell will be pretty sick that he came up against Martin Johnson, Fabian Pelou. I mean, those two, I think yeah. I'm right in saying captain two Heineken Cup winning teams. O'Connell... Uh, captain the second of Munsters too, but was uh, he's been a stalwart throughout. And I have to say, if I think Heineken Cup, I think of Paul O'Connell more yeah. readily than I do either Johnson or uh, mm, Palouse, however magnificent they have been. Uh, Sylvain Marconne, great player. I think he's probably a better prop than John Hayes, but again, I think he's probably played in every final Munster have got to, the first of those being 10 years ago, so he's going to be a bit sick as well, I should imagine. But Josian's brilliant. I literally can't remember whether I think he's so brilliant because of his performances for France or for Toulouse. I mean, the two finals that Toulouse won... He's brilliant, trust me. He is brilliant. I'm not <laughs> disputing I've, I've that. Tried to, we, I've tried to work a system to defend against him. He's brilliant. Munster and Toulouse are really the two names, I guess, from a, from a whole club point of view that stand out, aren't they? Over 15 years. I mean, maybe it's, it's a slightly arbitrary number, 15 in, in some ways, isn't it? But uh, when you think of how, the, how far the tournament has come and yet... Munster, okay, they're, they're, they they first probably started to get everything together probably about 2000, wasn't it, when they won their first uh, first title. But as I say, the consistency of both of them has been staggering. Well, I, I think I think Munster, uh, everybody's second favourite team, aren't they? And they've probably done more than anybody to help make the Heineken Cup what it is. But at the same time, I also perhaps controversially think that they're the biggest underachievers because, um, yes, I know they've finally, they've been there and been there or thereabouts ever since 2000. But they've also had the forward pack and the half-backs of the best Ireland team we've ever seen. Uh, they've got the best fans, quite possibly in world sport, let alone rugby. Uh, they've got a home ground that they, bar one occasion, never lose at. They've got a domestic competition that, until relatively recently, they haven't really been that bothered about. They don't have to worry about relegation. They've got a harmonious relationship with their national uh, body. They've got everything in their favour, and I think it's... Uh, a miracle. Their, their biggest achievement was until 2006 to convince us all that every time they took the field they were such massive underdogs because they really shouldn't have been. Uh, and every time they won it was epic and every time they lost it was epic and that's why they're so magical and great and everyone loves them. But if they had the mentality of a Leicester or a Wasps I'd think they'd have won a hell of a lot more than just the two. And I think actually, and I'm not saying it because Sean's in the room, the team of the Heineken Cup in terms of achievement is Wasps um, because, you know, bunch of pumped up lads from Acton uh, going across to it. That semi-final Lansdowne Road in 2004 remains the best game I think I've ever seen. Uh, and then they went in the following uh, rounds to uh, beat Toulouse at uh, Twickenham. I've got four teams written down here and yes, I'm, I am a little bit biased on Wasp by one of them. Um, that is as overachievers. Yeah. You know, like not the biggest club in the world, not the biggest spenders, but we've won the Anakin Cup trophy twice, which is, uh, you know, obviously not many teams have done that. The other team is obviously Munster, and I think they represent the Anakin Cup because it's the passion of the fans which they bring. And obviously they've won the, the they've been in the final so many times, hardly ever never qualified for the quarterfinals. But it's the passion of of the fans which represent the Anakin Cup. So that's one club. The other club is Toulouse, and that is for the glamour, the glamour <laughs> yeah. of the Anakin Cup, and uh, you know the money that they spend. You know, Stad Toulouse on just the name says it all, doesn't it? And then the last one, I'll have to say. And I'll say it a little bit begrudgingly, it is Leicester Tigers, <laughs> but I'm only saying that jokingly. I mean, they're an English team who, you know, from from, from the Midlands, who who have a never-say-die attitude. I think they've won it twice and they've been in, is it three or four, three or maybe even four finals? So they have to go in there as well as one yeah. of the teams of the Hannigan mm-hmm. Cup. 
I mean, it's interesting, Sean. When you when you wasps get back into the tournament next season, mm. that the standard will rise again, won't it? It does seem to. I just wonder if you look back, maybe even to that that fantastic semi final that Mike was just talking about. How far has the standard risen? If you're going to win the Heineken Cup these days, you know it's hard to quantify. But what do you have to be compared to what you were a few years ago? Well, I'm, not, I'm not sure if the standard of rugby has risen because you've got to remember back in those days. Uh, you know, when when Wasp won the English Championship in 2003, I still said that is one of the my proudest thing is because England were the world champions at the time. So we were the champions of the competition, who were the world champions of the whole world. So now whether the standard rugby has improved, but there's no doubt there is a lot more emphasis on it now, and it's got more glamour associated than it possibly had at that time because you know you, you had to get into the quarterfinals before you went to the football grounds. You had to get uh, you know, to the semi-finals before you went to the big stadia. We're doing it in the group stages now. Mm. You know, we're selling it out in the group stages, and so that shows how important the competition... Now, whether the standard of play is better, that's up to debate. You know what I mean? And that, that, we'll always argue that, you know, was Rocky Marciano a better fighter than Mohamed Ali? You know, that, you know, them sort of things will go on forever and ever. But... There's no doubt that the competition has got bigger because I said, you know, we're selling football stadiums out no, in the group stages. Um, I, I remember a great comment by John Connolly after England surprisingly beat Australia in the quarterfinal of the, of the Rugby World Cup. And a big part of it he put down to the Heineken Cup because yeah. he said that yeah. the Heineken Cup, and he's this guy has coached on both sides of the hemisphere. You know, he's coached in the Super Rugby and he's coached over here in the Heineken Cup. And he said the Heineken Cup is the perfect greeting ground for World Cup players because it's exactly the same setup. And that, he felt, was one of the reasons that the English players could handle pressure a little bit better than the Australians did on that day. Mm, yeah. Interesting. No, it is interesting. Well, thank you very much for that, Sean. Thank you, Mark. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, here's hoping that the uh, the match at the weekend is uh, is half a sparkling. You've been listening to the Guardian Heineken Cup podcast with Sean Edwards, Michael Aylwin and Dan Luger. I'm Robert Kitson. Thanks for listening. The Heineken Cup podcast, European rugby at its best. Brought to you by The Guardian and Heineken, the premium continental beer.